0: Good vibes, where it's all about the good vibes. Today we have Dr. Paul etchison with us. Dr. Paul Edgerson is a practicing dentist in a south suburb of Chicago called New Lenox. He is the author of Dental Practice Hero: From Ordinary Practice to Extraordinary Experience. He is the host of the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. Recently, along with Justin Boular, Dr. Edgerson founded Dental Business Mentor. An online cu- curriculum teaching all things dental business as well as systems used in his practice. He currently practices only six days per month and enjoys 12 weeks off per year. Dr. Etcheson is married and has two daughters Briella and Alyssa. Please enjoy this interview with Dr. Paul Etcheson. Excellent interview. We learned a ton from him. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on instagram at dental.student.vibes and this is part one of a two-part interview it's a great interview lots of information so be sure to check out the next episode which is part two with dr paul etchison etchison with us today the man with the plan how are you doing today
1: dr etchison hey man i'm doing good thanks for having me on i'm really excited to talk to your listeners and just kind of chat with you guys
0: absolutely thanks so much for joining us um so let's, let's dive right into it. So Dr. Ash, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, what you're up to these days?
1: Yeah, so my podcast I started about two years ago and it was partially just, a, I guess just a hobby. I just wanted to do something different. I, I went from four clinical days, gosh, you know, down to three clinical days, I ended up writing a book. And then after the book was over, I'm like, well now what? So I'm like, well, why don't I start a podcast? So I, I just went into that realm Uh, just kind of like talking dentistry with people. It's always been like a good passion of mine and something I'm just really nerdy about. So it was, it was a good fit for me, but yeah, my podcast has been going for about two years now and, uh, just it's an interview podcast and it's dental practice heroes. But yeah, it's, I mean, as you guys have found out, it is take a lot, it does take a lot more time than what you thought it would once you get into it, but it's, it's really rewarding and I'm happy I'm doing it. Always super worth it too. Yeah. And the best
0: thing is, you know, you get to connect with people that are not just, you know, in your city, in your town, you get to connect with. So where are you located? You're located outside of Chicago. We get to connect with you all the way from Florida.
1: Yeah. 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 No, I'm about 40 miles south of Chicago. So I'm in the suburbs and maybe with traffic, take me about an hour and a half to get to the city without traffic, maybe 40 minutes.
0: Nice. So can you tell us a little bit about your practice?
1: Yeah. So my practice is located right by my house where I live. So the south suburbs. We have an 11-op practice, but we started as a five-op practice. We did a scratch start, so meaning that we just opened up our doors without any patients and just grew from zero. And we grew pretty fast, and we're about now we're about seven and a half years in. But at the six and a half year mark, we went from five operatories to 11 operatories. Added more providers uh, much larger operation right now and right now I have 26 employees maybe 27 I, I lose wow. count and um, to uh, two associate dentists other than me I have a periodontist in there I'm working on getting an endodontist in there and I'm down to just two clinical days a week just three weeks a month right now so I'm mostly just personally seeing ortho patients and molar endos and some larger like cosmetic restorative cases uh, it's a good balance for me but it's, it's, it is it was a tough growth getting the practice this size, but I mean, when you get to the size that it's at, it does offer a lot of benefits. I mean, for one, both financially, but also like life balance wise as I get a lot of time off.
0: Dr. Hatch, you're living the dream. You know that, right?
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I hear. My wife would tell you all I do is work, I mean, because I'm always doing other projects and stuff, but it's, you know, I had to come to grips with the fact that I'm not working a lot. I just like my hobbies and my hobbies just happen to involve dentistry, you know? Right. Absolutely. Well, it's good that you you love what you do though. So I mean, she considers it work, but it's not really work for you, you know, like play. Yeah. And I had to come grips with that. I was like, man, I'm always working so much. And I had to change like my, uh, my mindset at some point, because I was like, dude, I got so much stuff to do. I can't get caught up. I can't get my head above water. And then I had to realize that the only reason that is, is because every time I finish something big, I always take on something else bigger. And it's because I like doing it. So I had I did a kind of a mental shift at some point in my life, but uh, yeah, it's all my fault, but I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: That's awesome. So can you, uh, you, you mentioned that you're doing only ortho and those big procedures right now. What, uh, kind of made you go in that direction? Cause I, I think, uh, Craig Spodek, mm-hmm. uh, down in South Florida, he, he kind of does the same thing. He's like, I only do yeah. Invisalign now and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, is the the way it just kind of happened, you know. It's been something that I've always liked doing. I really like doing ortho on kids now. So I would say of my ortho, maybe seventy five percent of it is adolescent ortho. So it's phase one and it's phase two brackets and wires on kids, and and I love that because it's just. I just kids are easier to talk to I guess I mean their expectations of like having a conversation sometimes are really low and sometimes you're just like you're tired from going room to room some days I'll see like 60 to 80 patients and especially on my ortho nights and I just I just can't keep the the intensity and the enthusiasm going all day long and it's just nice to go and some teenagers just wants his stinking wire changing and to get out of there and go live as, go go move on with his life but then the other thing is too is that they're just happy to get those damn brackets off and then the parents. Are just happy if the front six street teeth are straight, so it's just like it's wins all around. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that I, I leave them with really crappy occlusion, I'm just saying, just everybody's always happy when you're doing ortho on kids. Um, but it was something that I always liked doing. I slowly got into it as we expanded our practice and I added associates. They tended to start taking a lot of my fillings away from me, and then they started taking some of like my 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 crown things because i would I would do all the molarendo and i'd be doing all of the larger cases and i'm doing a lot of ortho that they're sending and feeding me. It just started taking a larger portion of my schedule, so it wasn't like done that by design, but it just kind of ended up that way, and now we're trying to make a push to make that. It's all I do is ortho. So I'm trying to get the endo off my plate by adding an in-house specialist and endodontist. But I still haven't found someone, but I'm interviewing somebody next Monday. So I'm hoping I like her and that this works out and then I could stop doing the molar endo. But yeah, an ortho is an ortho. I'd love it.
0: Right. I think in one of your uh, recent podcasts, you said that um, You recently looked at your procedure mix and you're doing like mostly, did you say you were doing a lot of oral surgery or was it just ortho?
1: Yeah, no, I said, what I said on that podcast is that I had to look at, I looked at my gross numbers and um, my fillings and fillings and crowns were the exact same percentage of my endo, ortho implants and oral surgery. So what I was saying is that half of what I do every day is strictly specialist procedures and and what I was trying to talk about on that podcast was saying that I see a lot of dentists. If you're busy, if your schedule is busy, you you have so many options for the way that you can schedule. You have so many options for how you can block or template schedule for production, meaning making sure you hit a certain production goal every day. But the prerequisite to that is you have to have demand for your services. And a lot of dentists just don't have any demand for their services because all they do is just fillings and crowns. I so the the point that I was trying to illustrate on that podcast is that if you can get the CE, get the training, and pretty much just just you know, have the coconut stick try these, these procedures knowing that you're not going to nail them or not going to be as good as you're going to get and you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with the learning curve. I mean that's when you get new skills as a dentist and you become a better clinician and then you become very very busy because you're just not sending anything out to the specialists anymore. I mean you're you're valuable, you're in demand and that's how you get a schedule that's really high production and you can do big numbers per hour because you just got a lot of patients that want to see you because of your procedure mix. Right. So so Dr. Ash, what do you recommend okay. CE wise would would you say is the most high yield for for growing a practice and you know production wise mm-hmm. Well, I I think, you know, hands down, implants in ortho, when you look at the dollars of it, you see the margins and you see the big numbers of it. But I would say it is so critical to know how to do molar endo and how to take out pretty much any tooth in the mouth. And the reason is, is that you'll get these emergency cases, these people that haven't been to the dentist for years and years and years, and they call you because they're in so much pain, and you just hook them up, you just get them out of pain and they're just, they're, they're lifelong patients, they're they're ambassadors for your brand, they'll tell everybody about it, and, and you just take really great care of these people. Now, you can't do that if you can't do endo and you can't take a tooth out, and I can't tell, I, I, if you look at my production numbers at the end of the year, and I showed you how many molar endos I did and how many teeth I take out, as compared to, like, the amount of, like, fillings and crowns the practice does it's a really small number it's not a big number but the value that you provide to the patients by knowing how to do those is huge now on the other token too is if you ever want to take your you know your practice down a realm of maybe being a sedation practice that's awesome people love doing sedation okay they love to come in and get everything done but you can't say hey i'm going to sedate you but I'm going to send you out to the endodontist after I'm done sedating you, and then you need to come back, and then I'll do the crown. And I'm going to send you out to the oral surgeon. He's going to take out all those teeth. He or she's going to take out all those teeth, and then you come back, and then we could talk about restorative options. I mean, the patient doesn't want that. They want to sit down get it all done in one visit. And I think those are the two sticky areas where a lot of dentists just they they shy away from, they get burned on some bad extractions, and they decide, or they get burned on like a bad molar endo that they can't get patency in, and uh, yeah, they, they just give up on it. And I think those are such valuable skills. They're hard to learn and they take a lot of experience, but they're, I would say if you're going to put your CE somewhere getting out of school, that's definitely where it should be. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to side note that I think you should be getting it all over because all of the successful clinicians I know that are running great practices are also very successful in in, in their clinical skills as well. And they're all CE junkies. And I I think there's something to be said about going and traveling for CE, meeting with other dentists, finding out what's working in their practices and taking that back to your practice and implementing so that you can grow. So if you had to put a things, CE anywhere, I'm going to say molar endo extractions, but I think it should be everything.
0: Right. So, you know, um, we were actually we were talking to Dr. Costas, Dr. Mark mm-hmm. Costas uh, yeah. a couple months ago, and he was saying uh, the first kind of lump sum of money that we make when we get out of school, we should, I, I guess, around. What do you say, like 50,000? 50, 50, we should mm-hmm. apply all of that to CE. Is that something you would agree with or?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say at least 2025, especially your first year out. I right. mean, your, your first year out, you're going to be so excited because you're going to be making six figures. You're just going to be like, wow, this is amazing. But, dude, I'm telling you, you can easily, easy, I know many, many seven-figure dentists – and it's it's very easy i would say it's easy but you can get up there you can get your practice to that but everyone that i know that's doing seven figures as a dentist as a practice owner they were all ce junkies and they all have like their fellows in the agd they're all they're, they're not the people showing up at the local meeting every three years to get their 36 hours so they can renew their license so uh that would be the biggest x factor and i think you do it early, you get to enjoy the benefits of that investment over your whole entire career. So yeah, that it's, I can't stress that enough how important CE is for right when you graduate. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Etch, I have a kind of like two part question for you here. Um, in terms of advice, what advice would you give yourself on the day you started dental school and on the day that we're all waiting for, uh, the day we graduate? You know what? I probably give myself a similar advice. I would tell the day I started dental school, I would say, "Hey, everybody else is really smart, and you're not the smartest guy in the room anymore." Because I went from being like 4.0 average to like when then they rank you. I don't know if they still do that. Do they still do that where they rank you guys every time you guys get your uh, quarter things?
0: Yeah, they yeah. just they just started doing that. So everybody, <laughs> but it's, it's weird because like nobody's really super competitive. Uh-huh. At the same time, you know, everybody's always grinding. It's always in the back of our minds because we want to get a residency or whatever. So
1: yeah, yeah. So I always thought I might like specialize in oral surgery or something like that. And then like after like the first or second quarter, I was like, I can't. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like bottom to the middle back. There's no way. And I was busting my ass. I was trying really hard. And I just. Uh, I was studying a lot I just I guess I just didn't I just didn't have it like these other guys or the other all the people in my class, other guys and girls. I wasn't the smartest one. so I would say just not to be so hard on myself in that regard because that was kind of what I struggled with going into dentistry, going to dental school. once you hit clinic, it's like you're gonna doubt your skills to some extent just because it's hard. I mean, it, no amount of working on is translates to working on patients. I just, it just doesn't. And um, I would say just, you know, know that you're going to fail and, and you're there to learn. And you, you, you unfortunately, you've got to really screw things up to get that good experience. And I'm going to follow up and say like, on the first day of graduation, the first day as a dentist, I would have said that was something I really, really struggled with. I was losing sleep Often, maybe the first three, four years as a as a dentist, as or after I graduated, just losing sleepover cases, thinking that I did the wrong thing, do, second guessing myself, getting upset that, you know, i I, I did an extraction. And it took me like an hour to get the the little root tip out that I snapped off and and the patient keeps calling back and they're in pain, and I don't know how to handle it. I mean, should should I switch their antibiotic or should i should I see them? Do they have dry socket? How do I even tell? you know, just like, and and you just got to come to grips of just, you got to do your best. You're going to do your best all the time. And if you really, if you really care about your best being good, it's going to be better than 95% of the people out there. And, And I don't know if you guys have seen this with your patients in the dental school, but where I'm at in my area, there are some guys out here that are just I mean, they might as well be practicing in like some foreign country. The, the dentistry is so bad. Really? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. And I never want to throw them under the bus of the patients. I'm always like, oh, you know, it's it's I I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if they messed up. This is all I see right now. I, this is how it looks today. And um, but you know, it, it's I just you're it's very easy to be so hard on yourself the first year. And I have a newer associate with me now, and and she's kind of struggling with that. And just, I just keep telling her like, you're going to get through this, you know, you're going to learn from it. But the only way to learn and become very, I guess, wise as a dentist is just to have a bunch of horrible experiences <laughs> and, and you will, man. And I and I tell you some implant cases, like I, I did this mini implant case maybe like six years ago where I, I, I put five minis in right in like the symphysis. And she's like, I can feel them poking by the bottom of my chin. And I put that, I'm like, yeah, I can feel them too. And I took the x-ray in there, like maybe a millimeter out of the bottom uh, of her jaw. And I'm and I'm I thought that was a win. I'm like, wow, I fit those things in perfectly. And I look at that now, and I'm like, I can't believe I was even trying that shit. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to <laughs> do anything hard like that. But, uh, yeah, you, 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 you test your limits, and, and you, you get there, and you try new techniques, and you see what you're comfortable with, and then you decide what you want to back off of. I mean, I've had, I have had one maybe about, yes, two years ago, cutting out a little root on an old lady And a little root of number 27, way down in there. She's got barely any bone. And I must have hit something because it bled like crazy, like more blood than I've ever seen in my life. And I was stuffing bone graft in there and just I felt like I could compress it. It would slow down. But I was worried. I was sincerely Crap in my pants, like this lady is about to die. Oh my gosh, like what are you doing? And um, so now I just decided when they got that little skinny ridge, and I'm gonna try to place, take out a full arch of teeth and put implants in it. I just prefer that out now because I, that really <laughs> changed my <laughs> comfort level. Yeah. She was okay and she was great, and, and we actually delivered her her implant support at denture maybe a year ago, but um, and she's happy. But it was it was a little scary when it happened. So, but you got to get out there and test your limits. So. Mm-hmm get out there, test your limits. My advice would be don't be so damn hard on yourself. When you did your first occlusal in dental school, you I don't care how many dent you worked on, you are never ready to do that. And so you have to try something that you might not be ready for. And that's how I feel about all these specialist procedures like molar endo, difficult extractions. You can never really truly be ready for it. You just have to try it and just know that you can get it done at some level and be comfortable with the result. Always do good dentistry, but be comfortable. Don't be too hard on yourself.
0: I appreciate that because that's uh, some pretty real advice, and that's something that I think we all need to hear every now and then. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so right after graduation, you know, a lot of us are thinking, what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. So, what is your opinion on a? And let's just say we're all just gonna do general, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, I guess the the thing is, the future is like going towards uh, super GP, right? So, mm-hmm. um, we got a couple options here. Uh, private practice as an associate, go to a residency like AGD or GPR, or go into like a big uh, corporate practice, DSO, something like that? What, what's your opinion and uh, where do you think you'll really benefit the most from?
1: Yeah, so I would say, okay, first let's talk about the private practice thing. If, if your private practice that you're going to go into is going to be, if you're going to work as an associate, I do you mean are working as an associate in a private practice? Is yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're going to work an associate in a private practice, I would not get yourself into a place where it's one dentist and he or she just wants to cut back and add you for a few days. You know, I would try to find a group practice element. And, and, and as much as I'm like, ooh, cor- corporate's gross, don't go there. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know too much about what actually happens in corporate dentistry, but the two things that you want to do when you're out of school is you want to be busy, you want to see a lot of different things. You want to see a lot of different cases. You want to be able to try out your new skills, but you also want to have an environment where you can get feedback from people and bounce ideas off of. So I would say, I, I would urge, I, I always say not to take the GPR, the AGD, but that's just because I didn't do it. Um, I would say if you really, really want another year of hand-holding, Maybe that's a good thing for you, Mm -hmm. but from my friends that I know that have done it and from the dentists that I've seen that have done it, I don't really feel like they come out all that more prepared just for the fact that... I think you just got a trial by fire but I guess everybody is different in the way they learn so I could see how the AG could could benefit some people if they just want a little more hand holding. but if I, if 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 it were up to me I try to find somewhere where you can get some good experience see a lot of patients and and learn and and that was kind of my experience I was in a larger group practice we had a lot of Medicaid a lot of HMO dentistry and but it was it wasn't run very well the culture wasn't very good there but we saw a lot of people. I was very busy and I got a lot of experience. I got to learn from some of the older docs and other doctors there. And I was able to try, like, I mean, I, 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 this is my, I'm 10 years out now, but my first year of molar I'm sure they're, they're probably horrific, but I, I had to go through that, you know, that was my residency, you know, and I had a a, a doctor I worked with, his name was Dr. Rene Tanquilla. And he said that, He's like, dude, you are gonna learn molarendo. Don't give up on this. Who, can, dude, you broke a file? People endodontists break files. It's okay. I'll show you how you can do this so you don't. Come watch me. And I would just go shadow him. And I'd look over his shoulder. And then I'd go take courses. Like Cliff Ruddle has a great endo course out in Santa Barbara. And And I learned how to do baller And Mm -hmm. now I do it. And now when I'm telling people how to do it, I'm like, it's not that hard. But but I get it because it was hard for me at some point. But it's a very – you just have to get out there and do it. So I would say my recommendation get out there. Find somewhere where you can learn. My fear would be is that you're at some private practice as an associate and you're the only one there. You get stuck. You have no one to talk to about it. And you may not even be as busy as you can be. So as much as I don't want to champion going to corporate, but it's I just got you got to go somewhere you're going to be busy.
0: That's Yeah, how it up. it seems like it's really like you kind of got the choice of are you going to have enough patience and you get that from going to corporate or are you going to go be an associate, have a mentor there at, at a private practice, um, have a mentor there, but you know you're only doing fillings and some right. crowds or something. So it's kind of like what what would you say really. <laughs> more to be more specific with the question between those yeah. two yeah
1: yeah if if you could go somewhere with a mentor if they're going to offer mentorship i think that's fantastic as long as they're going to have enough patience and they're going to let you do the procedures that you want to do um like I said, I dump a lot of fillings on my associates, but they, I, I've asked them for permission to do that. Like, hey, you've got openings in your schedule. I'm pretty booked out because I'm doing all this other stuff. Do you want to take some of my fillings so you're more busy? Both of them say yes. So it's not like I'm just sitting up there on high in my cloud and going, I'm never doing those again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if, if, as long as you, if you have mentorship, they're going to help you. They're going to teach you the ropes. They're going to be there to answer your questions and they're going to let you. They're not going to cherry pick procedures. I think that'd probably be a really good environment to be and you could probably learn a lot about practice ownership from that person as well that, oh, that's, that's a good point yeah you know, it, it's i mean depending that they have a fairly well-run practice and i mean that's then who knows they right. could or they couldn't but if they did you could find a great place to be you know
0: yeah i mean i i worked at a dso i was a dental assistant before dental school for like a year uh-huh. and it was it was a massive practice like 28 operatories oh wow! and um it was like there's like 92 offices but The thing is like the systems were so streamlined. It was crazy. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I learned a ton from that. And, you know, I mean, I guess between what you're saying, learn the systems, learn how to run the practice from the uh, just the private practice doctor or, you know, I guess you can also pick some stuff up from like a
1: DSO. Yeah. And you can learn the things that you don't want to do too. Like I can tell you, like where my associateship was, it wasn't a very well run office. The systems were awful. The culture was awful. The leadership was not very present, I suppose. And there wasn't a lot of communication between a lot of the parties involved, but you know, I learned that that wasn't what I, that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted a very systematized practice and you've got to see firsthand the systems that corporations are putting together, which, I mean, I haven't seen these systems, but I'm pretty sure they know what they're doing and they're trying to make things consistent. I mean, all we're trying to create to a well-run practice is just consistency. People want to know that what they bought from us last time, what they can get next time. And if they tell their family and friends about it, that we'll deliver the same level of service to them. And that's just consistency. So that all comes from being systematized and being clear on how you do things. So, I, yeah, there's there's things you can learn from di- all those different avenues. Right. Um, Dr. Etch, I know you mentioned molar endo. Is there, yeah. um, is there a skill or a procedure that you've either perfected or added to your arsenal that has um, had a major positive impact on your practice? Well, I would say, I'm going to say two things. One, I'm going to say implant dentistry. I, I think... Implant dentistry, when you can place an implant, you will treat and plan everything differently. Um, You'll just be a a better treatment planner if you know how to place an implant. Because I think if you can't place the implant yourself, you tend to shy away from anything involving an implant. And we tend to get in a lot of these, we want to treatment plan people in removable prosthetics, or we want to treatment plan them with uh, fixed bridges, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think... Implant dentistry makes you a better treatment planner. For me, it's going to be orthodontics, hands down. I mean, you can do so much ortho. I mean, I, I have a production goal. I want to do 1200 to $1,600 an hour in production, and I have one day a month where it's like I do a molar endo and a crown, I do another crown, and then I, do, I start one ortho case, and that meets my production goal, and then the rest of the day, I'm just bouncing from three columns of rooms, might see – I don't know, 24 more patients and I'm just going in there and telling the girls how to tie up the wire, like how I want this tied up. And it's just my, it's the best day of the month for me. So hands down, ortho is the best, but it's, it's, I can't, it's hard to pick one, man. They're all important. They all make you a better dentist when you can look at things from the perspective of all the different specialties. Right. So can you give
0: me like your favorite, uh, ortho CE and favorite implant CE?
1: Yeah, so my favorite ortho C is Brock Rondeau. So, and and that was, uh, I know Garrity is great as well, but one of the things with ortho is you've got to learn someone's system and their way of doing it, and there's not a lot of, you can't go bounce back and forth. So, you've got to pick one and go with it. Brock Rondeau travels around, they have a series, I really liked it. I mean, another important part is just having a good relationship with your referring orthodontist that you refer to so you can ask him questions, him or questions when you get in trouble. Um, and then I would say implant CE, I've taken so stinking much of it. <laughs> I, um, you know what, I'm not going to recommend any. I I, 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 I can't say <laughs> any of them have stuck out to the point that they were absolutely amazing. It was very helpful for me to go to the Dominican Republic and place a bunch of implants. I did that with Arun Garg and his course. Oh,
0: yeah. Arun Garg. And I'm not saying
1: his course is bad. I'm just saying I think there's probably ones that are all pretty good. I did one with Ken Helbel, he's a Canadian prosthodontist. Um,. But, yeah, you just got to – and if you're part of your, like, local academy general dentistry, you just – you get these courses. They just come by you, and they're random. They're random as hell. It's like bonding and molars and bonding composites and molars. You're like, I don't want to take a class on bonding composites and molars. But then you go to the course, and you're like, wow, this is really cool. I learned a lot about adhesion and stuff like that. So, I mean all the classes are good, but I, it just it's I guess it's personal preference. I've heard good things about garg and i have uh I've also heard things good things about Ken Hebel, and that's why I took his course so i I guess I will recommend them <laughs> all right cool so what do you think um all right let let's get
0: let's get deeper into the business mm-hmm. aspect of your practice so, what do you think is the best business advice you've ever received or and or a two part question I guess Um, what is like the best system in your practice that you implemented that really
1: pushed you forwards? So, okay. So I'm gonna start with the best business advice I guess I've ever gotten. And I don't know where I got this from. Maybe it was from a book or maybe it was from my, my, it was an advertising major in college, but that essentially the brand is, is your, it's your company's identity In the patient's mind. So it doesn't matter what you think of your practice. It only matters what they think of it. And they will make an assumption and make a perception and have a perception of your brand. So you have to do everything in your power to have them perceive your brand as positively as possible. And that could be reputation management online, making sure you're getting reviews. But moreover, it's in our practice, it's being very, very intentional and consistent about how the patient moves through our practice. The words, the types of things we discuss, the way we discuss them, how we we treat them, how we guide them from place to place, from x-rays to chair to the doctor exam to the hygiene part and how we just we, we make it very simple and easy for them to say yes. And there's so many moving parts happening there. And these are things that we talk about behind the scenes intentional. We practice them. But when the patient comes in, it's just fluid. It's almost like going to Disneyland. You don't see all that backstage stuff happening, but it's just what you see out on stage is really, really good stuff. So uh, that would be my – the best business advice would be just to be very intentional on creating who you are and what your brand is. Um, what was the second part of the question? I know there was yeah. a second part.
0: Yeah, so the the second part is um... – what is what do you think is like the best system that you implemented oh. like something that pushed your practice practice forward and you're like wow like this is really working this is really causing my yeah. production to
1: increase yeah so i mean there's so many there's so much you can do the low hanging fruit of every practice is just getting training your people on the phone just to train them how yeah, to answer okay. the phone call and nobody Nobody, I mean, we're talking about patient experience. The bar is set so low by our colleagues. I mean, it's so stinking low. Like if you put any intentionality into it, you will blow your patients away. But yeah, phone skills, train them on that. I'll tell you recently something that we changed is we were getting our no show and our late cancellations were getting up into about the 14% range. Mm -hmm. Now, for your listeners that don't know where it should be, you want to keep that roughly around under 8%. OK, so in my practice, we did a system where we took it from that fourteen fifteen back down to eight. But when you're talking about a practice in my level is doing four and a half million dollars a year. That's a lot of missed appointments to the tune of almost probably about one hundred thousand dollars in profit a year. Mm-hmm. just by implementing this system. Now what we did is we just slowly I mean it, this is a slow process of changing our, our appointment policy, but we just started pre-collecting the payments when we made this when we scheduled the appointment. Right. And uh I was like the patients are never going to go for this and man they they didn't bat it, they didn't care. Wow. They were totally cool with it and it was that we worked on our verbal skills on the front end. This is what we're going to say. This is how we're going to say it. And this is our policy. And then we came back a few weeks later. What's going on? How did it go? What were some some people that were kind of giving you like pushback? What were their issues or what were some questions that they asked about it? And then people say, well, someone asked me this. I don't really know how to answer it. We said, okay, we wrote that down. We said, how do we answer this? Okay, mm-hmm. now this is how we answer that question. And when you get in, you start really piecing apart your systems at your practice and you look at it in that lens – there's not that many different situations that arise. And so you get, you, you train your team on how to handle all these different situations. Now, if I go and I sit on a podium and I speak to a room full of people, someone will raise their hand. They'll say, well, what do you do for that one patient? See, I had this one patient that came in and this happened. And it's like, that was the only patient that ever happened to, we don't care about them. You know, that's going to happen. It's almost like." Uh, your your odds of being eaten by a shark are so <laughs> low. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then you, 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 if, you, if you're if you going to talk about swimming in the ocean, you're not going to sit there and ask the lifeguard, well, you know, someone I know was on a beach and there was a shark. So like, is this beach like shark proof? No, you, you, know, you can't shark proof a beach and you can't. You can't proof all the systems in your practice for all those outlier patients that sometimes they're just strange ass people. Yeah. So so it's just you always gotta you gotta sit there you gotta create your system and always come back to your team. What's going on? Is it working? And what's not working? And just create this culture in your practice of we're constantly improving. We're constantly talking about what's working and what's not, and we're gonna constantly get better as a team and use that as a as, as you're the leader projecting that collaboration with your team and that's going to take your practice to just a whole nother level
0: right so did you use like us I, I was Listen to somebody talk the other day, they're using a specific company to they that would uh, train their front desk to
1: do uh, answer phones better, like and of course have everything scripted. Are you using something like that? Yeah, so our phone skills. So I have my chapter in my book, so I try to do that. I, I mean, it, it's like the the prophet is never really respected in his hometown, so I can tell my team, like, oh, this is the way we answer the phone, but they want to hear it from somebody else. I have some some DVDs that I give them. That's how we do our phone skills. Then we have some CDs that are kind of old, but they're still really good about phone skills. So everyone listens to that. We all talk about it. And then we listen to the dang, We listen to the recorded calls, and we sit down, and we go through them with people, and we try to get better. Now, for this uh, this front desk policy, this cancellation policy, or the the prepayment policy, that partially stemmed from, um, we had Cura Dent come to our practice and work on treatment plan presentation with my front desk team and financials. And we just, after that meeting, we, we decided, hey, well, let's 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 start collecting half of the co-payment for any procedure appointment greater than $1,000. Mm. And we did that for two months. And we we're like, wow, those people never miss their appointments when they prepay. let What do you guys think about doing that for everybody? And we did it for everybody. And it was the same thing. Wow. Nobody cared. And everybody showed up. And I will tell you today, my associate had three hours of her day booked out for a molar root canal and a bunch of fillings. And there's a note on the appointment patient could only put a deposit of two hundred dollars patient will put the rest when they come to the appointment and wouldn't you know it she didn't show up Mm -hmm. so and i went to the front desk i said hey we didn't follow our protocol so look what we did you know so we had something working really well but somebody didn't want to say no you know, didn't want to say no to the patient say hey you know what we'll call me when you're ready to put that down payment down when you're ready to pay your part then we can schedule because they wanted to be nice and it bit us in the ass for three hours of production, (laughs) probably cost us, you know, 2,500 bucks, you know, Uh so... uh, So you're saying don't break that protocol, even, you know,
0: just stick to the system,
1: all right? Stick to it, but you know what? It's so much easier in my position where I have a very busy practice to do that. I think if if you're really struggling and your new patient flow is very, very low, and who knows what the problem is behind that, but I mean, if you're if it, it's got to be hard for some dentists to do that when you're not busy, because then you're you're pinching for every dollar and you're struggling. So but in my practice, we're, we we see a lot of new patients, uh, about 180 new patients a month right now. Anything above 25 is good in dentistry for a single practice. Or for, for <laughs> yeah. a single, so, I mean, we're we're killing it in that regard. So we can we have the the I guess we can do that with our patients because we have a lot and say we lose one I don't want to sound like a jerk saying like I don't care but we're not going to be the practice for everyone and I am 100 percent comfortable with that and that is okay there is a practice for everyone and if my practice is not for you that's okay but this is our policy there's a reason why we do it and I mean just to say this this three hours that we lost today there's Mm -hmm. some patient that wants to be seen, that's in pain, that couldn't get that slot today. Yeah, you know. So as much as we want to look at this through the lens of a profit motive of, of, a, of a practice owner, this is the right thing for the patients. If you say you're going to show up at my practice, get your ass in that chair, and be at my practice, so so that I can serve all my patients better. So and um yeah, it, it's just the best thing for everybody. So it's not only profit driven; it's it's for the patients as well. Awesome. Hey, Doc, so following up on that, what happens if somebody's late? Like oh, we just any... lo- we lock the door. We just say you can't. <laughs> you, you lock the door? I so mean, like, well, so you, you set up, like, three hours for yeah. a smaller window today. Like, what if they were, like, an hour late for the procedure? Like, what would you do in that situation? Do you, like, so, have to reschedule them and then they lose that deposit? Or If it was my associate's? They if they had stuff going on in the other room they may reschedule or they may try to see him in side column. I can squeeze anything into my schedule, and I would still see them. I mean, it, you just step on the gas. <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, <laughs> you step on the gas. It's hard. It's hard when they show up. I mean, an hour late. That's pretty bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I don't th- I don't think that ever happens to be honest. You no, know, I. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, think you gotta, gotta kind of bite the bullet and just When they're not an show hour up. late, I mean. Well, I guess maybe they thought their appointment was an hour later, I guess it's possible. We just take care of them. And the thing is, is like, okay, so you block out three hours for this procedure. They show up an hour late. So if you send them home and you block out another three hours, you just spent six hours on that procedure of your schedule. Six hours of it went to it. So... I would say you let them know that you're late and you say, hey, I I got other patients that are here right now. I'm going to work you in. We're going to get this done. It's going to be awesome. We're, we're going to do it tonight. It's all good. And then I would just just kind of hustle to get in there. I mean, I've got my team trained so much that we can almost fit anything in because my assistants are so good and my hygienists are so good and just everyone on my team is so good. So we can get really uber efficient if we need to be.
0: We hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part interview with Dr. Paul Etchison. Please hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Instagram at dental.student.vibes, on Facebook at dental.student.vibes, and on Twitter at DSV Podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks for the support. And please look forward to part two coming out soon.